This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast, where you'll learn the strategies and tactics you need to become a millionaire agent. Learn from top agents, brokers, team leaders, and experts in the industry who can help you on the path to success. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome. He is the owner of West Experience Real Estate Group, where he serves as a go-to advisor of wealthy people. He helps real estate agents build their wealth. And I'm so excited that he is with us today. He's also a member of the mastermind group, Go Abundance, and the host of the show, 728, where he interviews people who've gone from $1 million in net worth to $10 million in net worth. And I love that he talks about how to be a spender versus a saver. Like, do you want to be a spender? Do you want to be a saver? Who are you? And having an ownership of money versus stewardship. So talking about the differences between those. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to all of you guys and have a conversation with you. So let's talk about that. You explain what the difference is between a spender versus a saver and how to have ownership of money versus stewardship. Can you talk about that? Of course. You know, Typically, people fall into two ranges. It's either you have a saver side to you or a spender side to you. And most people think, oh, I wish I was a saver or a saver is like, I'm a saver, so I have money in my bank account. But the reality is, is both of those relationships or both of those people come from a place of fear. If I if I ask the people in the audience to raise their hand, typically in real estate, it's about 60% spenders and 40% savers. But the reality is, is that spenders are afraid of having money. So anytime money comes in, they're comfortable being broke. So they spend the money and savers are afraid of losing money because that's their safety. So when uh, a saver gets a check, they know that real estate is a feast or famine conversation in, in, in because you either make a bunch of money or there's nothing going on. It's that roller coaster that so many of us have been on and that I remember being on early in my career. And so for a saver, they say, I'm going to put this in the account and then I'm not going to touch it. So they take ownership of that money and they can't part with it because of the fear of the loss that could happen if something bad were to happen. So what do you suggest is the right mentality for people to have where they can have an abundant mentality? It's a combination of both, really. One of my one of my best friends said it once, it's the difference between stewardship and ownership. So most of us take ownership of our money. And that's the reason that for when you're an employee, the IRS takes the check first, right? The IRS takes their part first because they understand how hard it would be to get the money from us if we take it. Now, real estate, that doesn't happen. We get ownership of our money. And it's why so many real estate agents owe the IRS a ton of money, because once it's theirs, it's theirs to spend. So the easiest way, I think, to explain the, the difference between the two is just the lottery, and because real estate agents, a lot of times you sell a huge house, it's like you won the lottery, you get this big check that comes in. And for most people, when they win the lottery, what do they do? They go buy a boat, they go on vacation, they go buy a house, they take care of their friends and family for a while, and they go to a bunch of really nice dinners. 
And statistically, I think it's 95% of people who win the lottery are in the exact financial position that they were five years before, five years later. And so, so imagine you won a million dollars in the lottery. Just tell, talk about what you would do, right? If you're a saver, you'd be like, I would spend a little bit, but most of it would go in the bank. If you're a spender, you're like, I'd be living the big life. And, and now I'm going to give a different scenario of take a second, and I can't see you guys here, but just close your eyes for a second and imagine this scenario for me. Your best friend, I want you to imagine your best friend comes to you and they say, Aaron, I've, I've got bad news. I just found out that I have terminal cancer and that I've got just a few months left to live. And I have a life insurance policy of a million dollars. I want to entrust you with that million dollars so that my five-year-old girl has money when she grows up. Go ahead and open your eyes now. Would you treat that money differently than what your past track record is? And the answer is yes, because you would have stewardship of that money. There would never be any kind of ownership that you would take of that money because that's not your money. That's your best friend's money for his daughter. And you would make good financial decisions. You would find perspective. You would find the right places to, to put that money because they entrusted you and gave you a mission of helping that money grow so that she has a successful life. That's what stewardship of money looks like. However, most of us, and, and I was a spender, I mean, full talk, full real talk, I was a hundred, my net worth was negative a hundred thousand dollars at one point because I was the classic real estate agent of getting a bunch of money. I would spend it. I was broke all the time. And every September, because I would always do an extension, my accountant would say, Hey, Aaron, you owe $36,000. And every year it was the same thing. It was like, what? I owe what? How much is that? And I and I was in this cycle of always being behind for realists. I mean, always being behind financially because I always had that that weight on my shoulders of owing the IRS money. And I I went to one of my mentors, and you know you have those moments uh, in your life of like a, a thirty second conversation that totally changes your life. And I'm sure everybody here has had one. And this this was one of those moments for me. I went to Brian and I said, I said, Brian, I don't understand. He's very well off financially. I said, I don't understand why I can't save money. I know how to make money. I have a great business, but I can't rub two nickels together. And he looked at me and he asked me one question. And he said, what was your dad's relationship with money? And I literally felt like someone had punched me in the stomach because it was the first time in my life that I had ever looked to my past to see where I was today. And my, my dad is broke. He will rent forever. He rents a house from myself and my brother. He's an entrepreneur. He has his own business. He has feast and famine, just like real estate agents do. But whenever there's money, I'm the oldest of six kids. There, There's always a place for money to go. And so for me, that recognition that that there was something hardwired into my brain. You know, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Inside Out. And if you haven't, it's one of the most profound movies ever. It's a cartoon made for kids. But when you step away and look at this movie about our lives and how we lead our lives, it is 
I've watched it probably 35 times. No joke. I just, I love the movie because there's so much nuance to it, but we have these marbles in our head of what we find normal that it's normal because it's our world. It's not necessarily normal from the outside. So I had to start doing some deep diving into what my relationship with money was. And, and because of that, I am now able to have a comfortable conversation with people about money because I don't have an emotional attachment to it. Um, you know, for, for most people, there's two people that know how much your net worth is. And most of the time they don't even know what your net worth is. They just know how much cash you have. And that is your accountant and your, your stockbroker or your wealth portfolio manager, right? If we go to dinner with another couple, there are three things you don't talk about sex, politics, and money. And you will usually talk about those three in that order. Money is the last thing that you will talk about your friends with your friends because most of us have a greater than or less than mindset when it comes to money. If someone's worth a million dollars and I'm worth zero, or if I'm worth a negative hundred thousand, they're better than I am because they have money. And the reality is, is that your net worth which all of us should know is just a number that lets you know what kind of decisions you are making financially in your life. And three things happen. You either make better financial decisions and your net worth goes up. You make the same exact decisions you've been making for most of your life and your net worth stays the same, or you make bad financial decisions and your net worth goes down. But by tracking that, and you know, in real estate, we talk about tracking your activities, we talk about tracking all those things. But by tracking that net worth, you're now able to see what kind of decisions you make. Mm, I love that so much. So give us some tips of things that you've done. And I like what you said, because I think there is a balance. Like there's people who are just savers, 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 and they just save everything and they don't have any fun. And then there's people who blow everything that they have. So give us some tips on what they would need to do to kind of have this perfect balance and have the right mindset of getting their mind around where they need to be. Okay. So there's... That's a, that's such a great question. And there's a couple of things that really helped me. One, the one of the first ones was a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. It was written in 1935. It's one of the best financial books out there. It was it's written as a parable. So it's a story about the richest man in Babylon and and how he became rich. And there are principles throughout that story that each one is a gold mine. The first one is a portion of everything you make is yours to keep. So what I did, and it, it, people laugh when I when I did this, is that, you know, when you have a bank account and you can label it like savings or Josh, you know, your kid's savings or whatever it is. So I opened a bank account and I named it not my money because and, and then I made the commitment that any money in that account, every dollar I put in the account was not my money. It was for Aaron, who I wanted to be financially 10 years or 15 years down the road. And when I started out, it was literally $50 out of every paycheck went into that. And then after a couple of months, I went, you know, what? nothing in my life is changing. And so I upped it to $100. And then I upped it to $500. And then I upped it to $1,000. And at, at some point at one for my first the first property that we bought, I got an itch. And that itch was, 
there's a whole lot of money there and there's a lot of things you could do with that. But because I had made that commitment of I'm not making my house payment before I touch this money, I now started looking for opportunities to put that money somewhere. And for me, it was 2011. I bought my first duplex for $46,000. But that that $10,000 that I had saved up in my account was every penny that I had to buy that property. And then I just washed, rinsed, repeat, and did it again. And a piece of advice that I got that has been instrumental, I had someone ask me this a couple of days ago, what's the best piece of advice, advice that you ever got? And, and this was the one of the ones that um, helped with my wealth building journey. And it was a, a friend of mine named Tim Rode who retired at 46, sold all his real estate and has lived financially free for the last almost 20 years now. And he said, Aaron, people get rich by hitting base hits. You hear about people hitting home runs and they have these huge everything going on. He goes, but if you think about baseball, the people who are the home run hitters are in baseball for a few years and then they're gone because it's not sustainable. They are going to strike out more than they hit. The people that are in real or the people that are in baseball for a long time are the guys that are putting the ball between first and second base and then uh, second and third base consistently. They're not ever trying to hit a home run. They're trying to hit base hits over and over and over again. Those people's careers last forever. And every once in a while, the ball will go over the second baseman's head and it's a double. And every once in a while, they'll swing the ball and it'll hit into the corner and it's a triple. And then once in a great, great while, someone will throw a 96 mile an hour fastball. They're swinging for a base hit. The ball hits perfectly and it's a home run. But that home run for a base hit hitter is an exception. They'll hit three or four a year when they're on base all the time. And that mindset helped me not swing for the fences. Gary Vaynerchuk says, People want to get rich quick, but life is long. So if you only have $1,000 in your in your not my money account and your friend comes to you and says, you know what, I need to borrow some money. If I borrowed your $1,000 and I kept it for six months and I gave you $100 back, would you be okay with that? And, and when I ask this question, most people are like, no. But when you look at the numbers, that's a 20% return on your money. It's $100 in six months. That's $200 in six months. That's a 20% return on your money. If I said, if I gave you 100,000 and you gave me 10,000 in six months, people would be like, oh, heck yeah, I'm, I'm in. That's the exact same statistic. It's the exact same percentage. So training your mind to think in base hits when you have a little bit, it just, you're allowing your money to work for you and compound. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Kanzel Realty. One of the other things we give you is revenue share, where you get five levels of money in your downline every time you attract an agent to the company. And guess what? The first three levels open up right away. So let's pretend like you're not a great recruiter, but you bring on a couple people who are heavy hitters. Guess what? You don't have to hire five or 10 agents to open up those tiers. You automatically get those. So that's what makes us very different. This is Kanzel. Mm, I love that. And 
that book that you're talking about is fantastic. And I've read it. And a couple things that I remember that he talks about is like, like, don't take advice from on finance from someone who lays bricks, right? Like go to people who are experts in a particular subject. If you want like expert advice, like it's too easy from the camel maker, camel. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, um, He also talks about like, build yourself a mountain of gold first, and then you can enjoy as many banquets as you wish, but don't spend your money as soon as you earn it. Like as soon as you earn it, like don't be going out and, you know, kind of blowing it every, you know, as soon as, you know, that's what a lot of agents do. Like they make it, they spend it as soon as they get it. And like surrounding yourself with people who are good with money, you know, and who work, work, well with money. They know what to do. They make lots of it and they know what to do with it. And just surrounding yourself with those people. I put some of the points in the book, in the chat, which I think are good, but I definitely agree that you should do that. Let's switch gears. And is there anything else on that that you want to talk about? The the only, the only thing that I would say to add to that, and I'll be brief because I know we're on time, but your business account, a lot of real estate agents have a personal account that they've just funnel everything to. If you want to start creating separation of that stewardship versus that ownership, you create a business account that all of your income comes in from business. And then you look at it like a business. That's not your money until it gets transferred from your business account to your personal account. Then it becomes your money. And what that allows you to do at some point is to put yourself on a salary. So my wife and I, until this year, have been on the exact same salary for the last five years. And my biz- I mean, we're going to close 250 transactions this year, my team is. Uh, I'm not in production anymore. So I, I build wealth through their success. But the money that's in that in that that business account isn't my money. That's the business's money. It's not my money until it comes from the business to me. So if you're able to start making that transition or or making that mindset shift and then putting those little disciplines in place, and I think that's a secret is that you have to just start putting disciplines in place to be able to build wealth. So I I think we can, we've covered a lot. Usually I can do a half day workshop on this or one hour call. This is, was a lot in 20 minutes. So I, I, I appreciate it. That was amazing. Well, one of the things we do is that we give 10% of company dollar profit to one of your clients, 10 charities. And I think that, um, you know, our agents need to do a better job of kind of announcing that and saying, hey, if you use me, we're going to give 10% to the charity of your choice. But also, like you said, figuring out a way that you can also maybe even give on top of that, like, and figuring out, hey, you know, this is God's money that that he's given me. I always look at the money that God gives me as I'm just basically on loan with it and I'm loaning this money. And how can I give more generously every day? So I want to encourage you guys to do that as well. So one, I have, go, oh, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. No, no you go. Ahead. So there's a book called The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harvecker. T. Harvecker. It's been written in, it was written in the 80s. I keep it on my desk all the time. And one of the things he talks about is that wealthy people understand the flow of money. And if you are generous with your time, energy, and effort and finances, the world is going to reward you for that. And, and, n- Enough, there, there's been some transitions in my lives. And one of them was running from 
to running towards. And we woke up one day and there was no way I could convince myself that I was broke. We were no longer even close to broke. And, and there was this transition of like, how do I run towards wealth instead of running from it? And one of the ways, and, and we do the same thing in my business is we, every single closing, we let the client pick the charity that they want and we, we do it. And the, and the dialogue we use, which I think is really important because everything that we do as real estate agents, we want to be differentiating ourselves from other people is I say, you know, one of the things that's different about our business and how we do business is that it's so important to give back. So there's a portion of every single check that house that close every single family that we help that goes back to charity. So I'm going to be asking you at this, you know, at some point in this escrow, where do you want that money to go? And what that does is, is you're now a you're now a community person. You now are a business person. You're not an agent who's just trying to get over on everybody. Go ahead. Mm, I love that. And one of the reasons that I created Canzel as well is because I felt like agents really are so bad with their money. And I feel like if they can be a part of an owner and, and have this revenue share where they can get money in a downline and be able to have passive income coming in is really, really important to me. And, and one of the things I want to encourage you guys to do is to literally spend 15 to 30 minutes a day where you put it on your calendar and we'll kind of, if you go to joincanzel.com slash scripts and we'll have some different people type it in the chat, but putting in going, okay, I'm going to spend 30 minutes of my day kind of putting out different texts to invite agents to join me and, and having that as in part of your daily routine. Is there anything that you do as part of your daily routine where you're saying, I'm going to make sure I'm doing this every single day because this is helping me towards putting, you know, towards my wealth and towards my retirement? So for me, and this is perfectly translatable to agents, we meet as a team Every morning at 8.30 a.m., we do 30 minutes of role play. This is something we just started with the transition that the market is changing, taking from where we are heading to a normal market. So we 30 minutes of role play, and then we do two hours of conversations with clients and prospects and, you know, outreach to, to other people about real estate, about us creating relationships. I mean, as a real estate agent, you have three jobs, period. When you boil it down, it's activities, it's skills, and it's relationships. That's it. So when you break it down and you understand that those are your only three jobs as an agent, it becomes much easier to just get rid of all the white noise that is out there. So we focus on our activities and skills and then we teach our agents how to create amazing relationships with their clients and prospects so that their business has a foundation to be able to excel. So I would love for you to share some of these scripts that you kind of go over that are really great scripts for you. All right. So the first one that comes to mind is when someone says, well, what do you think the market is? What, what, what do you think my house is worth? One of the biggest mistakes that agents make, both on the buyer, 
buyer representation side and the seller side is they use the word I. The word I is never allowed to be said. It is the market. So if someone says, well, how much should we offer on this? Most agents would say, well, I think we should do this. And what happens is, is you're setting yourself up for failure. We want to be the hero, but you have to protect yourself against the, the bad side of it as well. So when you say, I think we should do this, if that deal falls apart because it was too aggressive or whatever, you're to blame for it. Use the market instead. You can say, well, it looks like the market has rejected the price that it's at right now. So we could write an aggressive offer on it. And from looking at what's going on, an offer of X would be aggressive, but not insulting. And so you've now taken your opinion out of it. So you can't be blamed if it goes sideways. It's ultimately their decision. The same thing is true on the, the listing side of it. When they most agents say, you know, after looking at your home, I think it's worth this. And, and what you're doing is, especially in this new market, where price reductions are going to be a part of the market, when you come back to them and say, we need to do a price reduction, their thought is either consciously or unconsciously, wait a minute, you said that we should price it here, and now you're telling me that you need to reduce the price. Whereas if you say, when they say, well, how much is the house worth? In looking at where the market is and the homes that have sold in your area, it looks like the market would reward this number. Now, when you come back to them, you're able to say, you know, we've been on the market for 30 days. We've had a bunch of showings. It looks like the market has rejected the price that we put out. It might be a good a time for an adjustment. And you don't use price, price reduction either. You use adjustment. It's a good time for it looks like the market would reward an adjustment in the price. So that's one of them. Another one that just kind of pops into my head is in the listing presentation, one of the things that I always say, and I think I said this to you earlier, but there's four reasons a home sells. It's location, condition, marketing, and price. Location, we can't change. It's a great location. Everybody wants to be in this neighborhood. You love this neighborhood. Condition, you guys have, and then you have a conversation about condition. Condition, I, I, there isn't a whole lot else that you could do to make this home more marketable. Marketing, we're going to knock it out of the park for you. We are going to be your megaphone to the marketplace and make sure that everybody knows about this property and price. So now let's fast forward two weeks or whatever, and you've had some showings, you follow up with all the agents, you can now have a conversation with them that says, hey, remember I told you there was those four reasons that a home sells? Everybody said they love the location. Condition is super good. Um, marketing, obviously, because we've had a bunch of showings. It looks like the market has rejected the price that we have this house on the market for, for the condition that it's in. If condition is an issue, you're now able to say, well, we have two options. One, you can put new carpet in because that's what we've had everybody say is that it needs new carpet or we can adjust the price to reflect the fact that it needs new more needs new carpets and that allows you to again you're you're taking all of the ownership off of you and you're putting it on the market and you're explaining to them that the feedback that they're going to receive helps them position themselves to be better placed to be and i always say being the prettiest girl at the dance 
you're at a dance where there's a lot of women at the dance now and the market is changing to where there's even more. And we have to be the prettiest girl at the dance if we want something good to happen. And so here are the things that the market is saying we need to do to help us position ourselves to be the prettiest girl at the dance. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Everyone wants to be the prettiest girl at the dance. So let's do one last thing and then we'll we'll be out of time. We actually are already out of time, but I've enjoyed every second of this. Um, but when you are talking to your agents, what are you saying is the number of calls that they need to be sending out per day to either their past leads, their past clients and so forth? And then what is the best script that you have? Like, for example, just saying things like, hey, how have you been? I wanted to check in with you or, you know, I wanted to tell you that is there any reason that you would want to be considering moving or, you know, the market's kind of shifting? Would you love to see any of the sold properties that have sold already or any comps, you know, for your neighborhood? I'd love to send you a list of kind of pending sales that are going and anything that's sold in the last 90 days. What are some things that you're telling your agents to call and say and how many calls per day are you telling them to do? So uh, the three things popped into my head. The first is the answer for our team is they have to make 100 attempts a week. That's the minimum for our team. Typically, that equals about between 20 and 30 phone calls or, or conversations, unless you're doing an open house or something like that. So that is our minimum for our team. And I have agents that are doing 150, 175 attempts a week. We typically on a new lead, we have 13 days of pain. So we reach out to somebody every day for 13 days. And here's what it sounds like. Because, and, and, and this is really, really important that we don't let our perception of reality be the client's reality. So most agents, when they call, they call once, the people don't answer. They don't want to sound like a salesperson. So they wait three or four days to call again. And they're like, hi, just wanted to touch bases with you. And then maybe after a third call, they go, um, they don't want to talk to me. But the reality is, is we don't know what's going on in those people's lives. So our dialogue is like this when we're calling on a daily basis or we're doing follow up. We say, hey, it's Aaron. I just want to call and touch bases. We met you at the open house or you reached out through Homelight or you reached out through Zillow. And so I just wanted to see what was going on, see if we could get on a phone call and chat and talk about what your goals are. You know, I understand life is busy. So if I don't catch you today, I'm going to call you tomorrow. And you've just given yourself permission to call tomorrow and you've let them know you're going to call tomorrow. So you have to call tomorrow. You call tomorrow and you say, hey, it's Aaron again. I left you a message yesterday. I know life is busy. It's it's crazy what's going on right now, but I would really love to get on a call with you or a text or something. So if you have a minute, just shoot me a text or give me a call back. If I miss you today, I'm going to call tomorrow. And what you've done is, and they do that every day for 13 days. And it's this, almost the same dialogue every single day. At day six or day seven, that person knows they're getting a call tomorrow because you've proven you're a professional. Professionals call every day. Average agents let their perception of reality be the other person's reality. And so when you give yourself permission to call back every single day, you are now letting that person know, I am here to serve you. And the best thing that could happen to you is for you to answer the phone tomorrow. If they don't want to talk to you at some point, they're going to answer the phone and go, 
dude, I don't want to talk to you. That happens one time out of 50. Most of the time when we make contact, they're like, oh my God, thank you so much for following up. Every time you've called, my kids are screaming, I'm dropping them off at school. And, and what we think, anytime I, you say, I think the client is this, you're wrong. So you can't let your perception of reality be the other person's um, reality. Can you say that script one more time? Because I thought that was really, really good. Hi, it's Aaron West with the West Experience and PMZ Real Estate. You know, um, Jimmy referred us to you and I just wanted to reach out and touch bases and see if there was a time that we could connect to talk about what your real estate goals are and where you're at right now. I know life is busy, so if I don't catch you today, I'll give you a call tomorrow. So uh, give me a call back. My number is 209-484-1651. If not, I'll just reach out tomorrow. And then I and then it's just wash, rinse, repeat. It's things aren't sexy until they become sexy. It's not sexy making that phone call every day until the person answers and they're like, oh, my God, thank you so much for calling. And then you're like, oh. So it's, it's give yourself permission. None of us want to sound like salespeople. And because we don't have dialogues like this, when you hang up on the phone, you're like, oh crap, what am I going to say to them tomorrow? But when you give yourself permission to call and you tell them, all you're doing is setting yourself up for success. Mm, that was so good. Aaron, I hope that you come back and join us because this was absolutely spectacular. I've fallen in love with you already over just Zoom. And I just, I really am so grateful for you. So oh, thank you for your time today. It's truly my pleasure. And if you guys want to connect with me, just, uh, I think my Instagram handles at the bottom, just connect through Instagram and shoot me a DM. If you have any questions or you want perspective or anything, I, I really, I'm now going to start putting out a lot more about building wealth actually on that, on that space. So, um, uh, I very much appreciate the opportunity to talk to all of you and I hope there was some value for you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review so we can get this out to more agents and tune in next week for another power packed episode. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast.